0: Two seven. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are.
1: You have a plan for your life you've set goals you know where you want to go congratulations on finding star style be the star you are our vibrant hosts passion purpose and possibility producer cynthia Bryan and her energetic daughter healthy living specialist heather Brittany, share the best roads fastest detours and successful strategies for a life worth living on Star Style Be the Star You Are. Lend us your ears. The party starts
2: now.
3: Never say never. Live your dream.
2: Well, welcome once again, our power partners, to Star Style Be the Star You Are. We are your hosts. My name is Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And you are listening to us on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our goal is to seed, stimulate, and support space for positive, meaningful conversation. And this program, Star Style Be the Star You Are, is brought to you by Be the Star You Are nonprofit, that is encouraging a positive literacy and positive messages designed to inspire and motivate you to greatness. Because every act of kindness opens your heart, it dampens your fear, it turns the pages, it tips the point. And it heightens your joy. The Miracle Moment is brought to you by Star Style Productions, coaching you for writing, speaking, and media interviews. Call 925-377-STAR or visit Star Style Productions to book your session because you can be the star you are. And this is from Anne Rand. Throughout the centuries, there were men who took first steps down new roads armed with nothing but their vision. And today's show is all about vision. We are bringing you the acclaimed visionary, perennial best-selling author of What Color Is Your Parachute, Richard Nelson-Bowles, who was recently featured in Forbes, uh, in Forbes magazine along with Warren Buffett as one of 18 financial wizards. And then we'll be talking about creativity and how a person can ignite that flame that burns deeply within. But right now, coming up in Health Matters. Heather Brittany is offering us a prescription for living life by cultivating good habits. Heather, cultivating good habits, that's something that all of us, or most of us, I would say, would like to do. But how do we maybe bury the bad habits that start bringing us down?
4: <laughs> well, again, yeah. Old habits are hard to break, and as a society, you know, we're always looking for that magic bullet, the you know, waiting for the next miracle drug or something to cure all. Um, And, you know, doctors actually receive no economic uh, benefit from uh, pushing uh, prevention, you know, uh, over than drugs to their uh, patients. We all know, you know, eat healthy, exercise, but a lot of times it's really hard for people to compliance with that. And oftentimes we set these goals, and then we don't we don't achieve them and then we start feeling gloomy and we you know we focus on all the, the negative what I have to. Do. And you know, something that's inter- interesting, we've talked about it in many shows before, um, but more than forty percent of Americans uh make res- uh, New Year's resolutions. We all do every year, and oftentimes it's to live better, to be healthier. Um, and more, you know, and and it's something that within the first two weeks, it's like 60% is not, it's a very few number that actually complete with their body. I
2: know, that's really sad because usually the number one thing is people want to get fit or lose weight, right? But, you know, before February
4: 1st, it's over. So
2: anyway, that's
4: a hard habit to break. So the first thing, yeah, I wanted to, I kind of have five overall tips I really want to share about creating healthy habits with us and as we say, it's, our biggest issue, I think, is a lot of times we set this big. I'm going to do this. It's going to be an overnight success. But we think about things as things take a long time to build up. Um, and so once your mind kind of pays attention, your brain can build up. Um, the pathway is to reinforce what you're learning. So my first kind of thing is set your goals by baselining your health. So first step is just taking con- uh, taking control of your overall well-being is to set the goals and make it sure that it's sensible. Um, you know, Gather some basic facts about your, your current health. And so it simple as simple as you know, going with your doctor, having them do a cholesterol test, a, a blood sugar, diabetes, finding out what your assessment is because oftentimes we have a misconstrued uh, view of what our self is or what our health is. Many times when we're really healthy, we think we're not healthy enough. Or many times when we're very unhealthy, we think, no, we're, we're just normal. We're, you know, we're, we're perfectly fine. We're not overweight. We're not eating too much. And then it's it's oftentimes not until you actually go to a doctor or have a specialist see you that you think, oh, my God, there actually is an issue. So have something assessed, um, preferably by a professional. Um, something simpler you know, that they, they oftentimes, even if you don't have health insurance, it's something you can have at a very low-cost thing to find your overall health. Um, and then once you have that information, you need to set your goals. And how do these goals start thinking about the big picture? You know, changing your lifestyle habits is rarely easy, and that's because we have comfort zones. We have habits for a reason. It's a lot easier to create a habit, um, usually an easier habit than to break a bad one. And you know, think of things: Do I exercise? Do I smoke? Do I overindulge? Do I drink? Think about all these things um, when it comes to kind of creating your baseline of what exactly it is you want to change. The next thing is making your priorities. And I always think it's really good, um, especially if you're thinking, you know, I, I need to make this change. And, and, oh, and as a side note, I always think, is this something that's funny to me? wow, well, people over and over the weekend and people always have this thing well starting next week starting on Monday things are okay it doesn't matter what day of the week it can be a Wednesday those are called
2: excuses that's right excuses
4: (laughs) yeah you know a lot of times we we wait until next week we wait until next week and then something happens uh we do eat a whole bunch of donuts and say okay well I messed up I'm going to start over next week just focus on the now even if you have little hiccups in between just keep your eye on what your goal is, and setting your priorities. So, kind of make list of what your hot spots and what your sweet spots will be. And so, what, by, what do I mean by hot spots? Hot spots are are weaknesses, and sweet spots are your strengths. So. You know, hot spots might be that, you know, you're unhappy, you're aggravated, um, you're eating too much, you know, exercising, you know, sweet spots are, I'm really happy, I, I feel fortunate, you know, for my family, friends, and I chose a salad over a burger, those kind of things, identifying, you know, what these priorities are and what they mean um, in your life, and you can identify what your patterns are. A lot of times, we don't realize, you know, what we live our lifestyle and tell either other people point it out or if we're asked to document what our day-to-day lifestyle is. A lot of times, um, you know, some people when it comes to food in particular, they keep food journals. And that's actually a, a big uh, weight loss tip for some people. I, I personally don't do it. I have many friends who have done lost so much weight because they never really realized, what they're eating, you know, they when they would say, oh, you know, yeah, I had a couple of crackers, but really, you know, they were just sitting with the box, and they were eating half the box, and um, a lot of times, you know, we're fooled by it you know, we look at when you read um, labels, you know, big thing I, I always recommend reading the labels, um, information that's on the labels of your food, So a lot of times people don't read the serving size, and so that little bag of chips may have nine servings in it, and you may think, oh, I'm only consuming one, and you eat the whole bag. Um, so kind of saying those things, and identify, the next thing is identifying your harmful patterns. So, you know, to change your negative habits, uh, habits you have to see what they are, and some bad habits, like smoking, excessive some like drinking, um, are pretty obvious, you know, that we're aware of, but Something things we, may, we might not realize as an excessive bad habit is sitting on the couch all day, being stagnant, um, not getting at least half an hour a day of exercise. Um, something, a lot of people don't think depriving yourself of eight hours of sleep. I know that's a big thing for me that I do not get. It's such a rarity for me to have eight hours of sleep. Um, and when I do, it's like, oh, my God. You know, it's, it's so amazing sometimes uh, – it's almost like a backhand compliment when you've had a great night's sleep. When people say, "God, you look great," and all you did was sleep. And oh, you know, well, as it's, we've it's, said
2: on many shows, sleep is critical to our thinking, to our creativity, to our visions, to anything we do. So that is definitely a habit that, and that's a problem I think that we as Americans have. We tend to think yeah. we don't need sleep, and we do.
4: Yeah, and I think, you know, once we identify things, it's also visualizing what we want. Um, you know, visualizing your desired outcome. Kind of, like with all things, You when you went into college, you knew you wanted to get a degree, you wanted to get out. You worked so hard to get in, and you want to work so hard to get out. So when you're going to set this healthy living goal, you know, is it that you want to get an ARP? Is it that you want to lose weight. You want to make sure you're eating healthier or, you know, you're, you instead of smoking a packet a day, you're, you're reducing it to five, to one before you're finally weaned yourself off. So you know, identifying, you know, when you find exactly what that goal is and, and, and I really think about giving yourself rewards in that, you know, give yourself participants to play to feel like, even though it's small little things, it may mean nothing to anyone else that, hey, you guys, I, you know, I only smoked a cigarette today, or I, I walked 30 minutes. It may not seem like, a, you know, a big success to Let us know that you take your own personal goals and reward yourself. Make yourself aware of what you're doing so that you can keep on track. And don't you let others, a lot of times, you know, we think sometimes our problems aren't as big as others or our successes aren't. You know what's identified just to yourself. And make steady changes with that. And it's even though we're working on this big picture, we need those little steps. You know, you have to walk or you have to crawl before you can walk. Um, And it's training our brain to to see these successes. And most of us know we've been defeated by old conditions, and and this takes a lot of time. You know, resistance, not realizing that we're training our brains in certain ways. We can train our brains, you know, to be healthy, to be successful, and we can also train our brains to be lazy and just that thing. A lot of times, um, you know, when you feel defeated, if it starts to become a negative habit. you know, when when it becomes a pattern, we just kind of become something that's a lifestyle for us, and we accept it. But instead of doing that, you take um, victory and just the little things. You know, so you decide to skip red meat for dinner. That's a victory.
2: Um, I'm a very in other words, what you're saying is congratulate yourself when yes. you do something that's positive even if it's something small, right?
4: Exactly. No, completely. It's the baby steps. I'm such a visual learner in general and if you think back when a lot of people were little kids they used to have chore boards and you know if you did your chores or or even at school if you train in your home you got these little stars and how we need that constant validation, and oftentimes we've gotten it from other people, and we've literally, um recognized that we need that self-validation. We need to say, you that we need, we have these internal things. Yes, you know, I I got up in time for work. I have these, um, I think you know, for a great personal tip, something is like I make a to-do list every day, and I have very important things, meetings I can't miss, jobs, uh, you know, things that are very important that I can't, you know, if I don't succeed in that, I can't push the other day. And then I also have very minute, very small things, but they feel like victories. You know, I made sure to feed the dog. I took out the trash. I did the laundry. As, I, as I'm crossing off this list, I'm feeling very triumphant, that I'm so busy, and I'm getting so much accomplished in my day. And the things I realize are things that have to be accomplished and things that can be delayed a little bit, but definitely recognize yourself in that. And reinforce the good to um, You know, and I just
2: want to jump in, Heather, that um, gets back to you. were talking about keep a diary or a journal and making these to-do lists and crossing things off. I really do believe that by writing down what we need to do and what we do get done and then our thoughts and uh, a creative moments throughout the day, we're going to accomplish more because we are going to be able to acknowledge what we have done and be happy with ourselves. So, That mere act of writing something down is really critical to self-satisfaction and to changing negatives into positives.
4: Yeah, and you know, and on average, it takes about sixty-six days to uh, create a habit, especially when it comes to good habits. And there's uh, studies have shown that creating bad habits are very can happen within a couple days, and you can break things. Some that you know, that sixty-six days of I am going to go to the gym every day, I'm going to eat healthy. You know, I'm, I'm gonna make sure I say a positive thing to someone every day, you know, those kind of things it can take up to 66 days to truly have it affirmed, but it can be broken within six days as, you know, easily we, we don't go to the gym one day and we and slowly we come in these negative habits that, that becomes our habit with that. So always reinforce yourself and I think a great thing is journaling things down. Um, to reflect the positivities. And a lot of times with journaling, it's not that you're ever going to read it again. It's not that you're going to reflect on it. There's just something very powerful of when you express it out, sort of when you have experienced you know, the best thing, you know, girl talking, whatever, talking with people. Um, When you just personally journal things out, write it down, the feelings, the things you want to improve on, you're letting it sort of be known, even in those interpersonally, into the universe, that there's changes you want to make or triumphants that you have achieved already. So always be aware of what's going on and what's going on in your life and kind of check in with yourself. If you I think it's great to set goals at the beginning of the year, but always be aware um to things, you know, within that you may actually obtain. Because is the big a lot of times people shoot these, I'm gonna lose twenty pounds in ten days. And we don't do that yet things take time for us. So just kind of giving an overall general I'm gonna you know, I'm I'm going to meet more people. I'm going whatever your positive thing that you want to change in your life, set it out there for the entire year. Um, don't let do yourself just because you may have hiccups in the beginning. Set it up forever. Again, journaling, checking in, going with a doctor, and also I think a big thing, um Kind of getting into how our society works today, via Facebook or Twitter, there's something when you put it out there for everybody to see, people check in on you. They want to, you know, they want to make sure you're following through. If you say, I'm going to go on a trip or I'm trying to lose weight, almost being out there, it makes you accountable for it.
2: And, And they become your cheerleaders. So in, you know, engage the many cheerleaders that you can have available. Well, Heather, as normal, we're out of time, and there's always more to talk about. But go ahead and wrap it up, and then give out the
4: website, please. Yeah, of course. Well, repetition and giving yourself time to adjust are just the main factors in uh, forming new behaviors, and so is the power of positivity. So we want you to go to our website, check out BeTheStarYour.com, as well as BeTheStarYour.org.
2: And when we return from break, it is the grandfather of job hunting, the wealth wizard and perennial bestseller of What Color Is Your Parachute? My good buddy Richard Nelson Bowles will be with us, so stay tuned. Do not go away. My name is Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And you're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll be back in a bit. Be the
3: star you are. The star you are.
5: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment.
2: Low literacy and poor communication skills have been identified in studies as major contributors to general conduct disorders, psychiatric disorders, criminal behavior, and adolescent suicide. To live and prosper in this society, we must be lifelong learners with access to knowledge and skills that can sustain our lives at work, at home, and in our communities. Be the Star You Are, 501C3 Charity, has been working to increase literacy and improve positive message programming since 1999. You can help by making a tax-deductible donation today. Visit www.BeTheStarYouAre.org Everybody counts. www.BeTheStarYouAre.org Be
3: the lucky star you
0: 925
3: STAR. Be the star you are. You are the star.
0: Plug in your headphones and tune in to enlightening interviews with acclaimed authors and success experts. as our Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, gabs with the Gurus. Lend us your ears for the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Now, here's Cynthia Bryan. You'll
2: find all you need. We know you have a plan for your life. You've set goals. You know where you want to go. And there's going to always be detours on this road. And that's where we come in here at Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We want to help you ignite your power and shoot for the stars. My name is Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are on the Empowerment Channel of Voice America. Well, can you name the author who began his work career as a paper boy at age 14, joined the Navy, became a minister self-published his first job-hunting book, and that has more than 10 million copies in 20 languages. Yes, it is the he- the wealth wizard, and he's healthy, profiled in Forbes in June, Richard Nelson Bowles, better known as Dick Bowles, author of What Color Is Your Parachute? He's with us here on Star Style. Welcome back, my friend. How You're are welcome. you, Dick? It's so great to have you back here on Star Style.
6: It's nice to be back, Cynthia.
2: Well, you have your 42nd edition hitting the stands this week, 42nd. You launched your first one in 1970, correct?
6: As a self-published book, yes, December 1st.
2: Right, as a self-published book. And I mean, you're one of the legends because you you self-published it, then you got published by 10 Speed Press and you became like the anchor for that particular publishing house and have sold, you know, millions of copies in all these languages. But let's talk about what it really was. Because basically, I always think of you as a great teacher. I mean, it's, you know, you speak all over the world. You have so much to offer people. But tell us what it was that really got you into writing about job hunting. Because this came to you when you were actually at Grace Cathedral or in the process of moving or something from there, right? <laughs>
6: After all, Being these downsized. Years, you're so hazy about that, aren't you?
2: <laughs> Being downsized, right?
6: <laughs> uh, the thumbnail answer to your question is that I was uh, let go from Grace Cathedral in 1968. And uh, the reason was they had a, a budget crunch and they had a lot of ministers on their staff. It's a huge cathedral. It's fourth largest in the western hemisphere and it's in san francisco so i was let go because they ran into budget problems and um i had to look for another job and I quickly found one thanks to the agency of the dean of the cathedral who was a dear friend of mine and that new job was a kind of roving ambassador of sorts or if you prefer biblical images a roving shepherd And my charge was to go visit every uh, campus in the nine western states of any size. It could be a community college or it could be a college or a university or a tech school. And if they had any kind of ministry on that campus, or even more importantly, they had anybody who was charged full time to do that ministry, uh, I was to visit them and ask them what Problems they were facing. I didn't have any authority over them, but their governing agency, whatever it was in the Episcopal Church, it was the diocese, uh, in other uh, denominations, it was a different kind of, uh, overhead, but they all wanted my opinion. And I traveled with fellow members from the other churches. I was in a group called United Ministries in Higher Education, and that consisted of the ten major denominations in the uh, Protestant world. And so when I visited them, I said, what kinds of problems are you facing? And quickly, I found out that they were all facing being let go for the same reason I had been After the Second World War, and for some time, uh, the old saying about there are no atheists in foxholes was coming true, and men came back from war tremendously more religious than when they had left. And they joined the churches in large numbers, their families and everything. And they pledged to the churches they were members of. And and so the church had a vast amount of money to build large uh, plants, physical plants, and uh, larger churches and so on. And then that enthusiasm in the 60s began to wane and Many churches had to cut back, and they were stuck with these huge properties that they had built during the good times, but the ministers had to be let go, and so these men that I was supposed to visit and, in a sense, report back to their bosses what was going on, they all said to me, hey, we're out of a job, and you were let go. We know your history, so tell us how to do this, and I said, I haven't got a clue. So what I did have was a tremendous travel budget. So I traveled all over the country asking two major questions. The first was if you have to job hunt and you can't find a job uh, using the traditional three methods of those days, which were resumes, ads, and agencies, private or, or federal, then how do you go about job hunting when those don't work for you? And the other question I asked everybody was, uh, if you want to change careers, how can you do that without having to go back to college or or training further? When these guys, they were almost always married. They were all guys. There wasn't a single woman campus minister in the nine Western states at that time, and. Uh, they all could not afford to take the time out to go back to school, so they wanted to know, how can I change careers without doing that? And Eventually, I found the answers to these two questions, and I self-published my findings in um, about 129 pages, uh, December 1st of 1970, as we were saying, and suddenly, everybody wanted a copy of it. I got Requests not just from campus ministers, but I got a request from um, General Electric, from the Pentagon, from CCNY, from UCLA, and so. And I just knew they didn't have that many campus ministers. And so I said, "Why on earth are you buying this book?" And they said, "Well, in your research and interviewing, you uncovered a lot of ideas." no one has ever heard of, and we can adapt it to our own uh, target audience. So uh, when the commercial publisher approached me, which was a man named Phil Wood, who just died a couple of years ago, uh, he said, I want to publish it for a general population, not just for campus ministers. And I said, all right, I'll rewrite it. And it leapt onto the bestseller list almost immediately. It stayed on the uh New York Times bestseller list for about five years, and uh, it was an astonishing phenomenon in the publishing industry that even now today, it's still selling uh, copies, lots of copies, uh, every single year.
2: Well, I think also what's so, it's such an amazing story, and it gives people hope that are writing books out there and that have something important to say and share, But your book, What Colors Your Parachute, was also chosen as one of 25 books that have shaped people's lives throughout history by the Library of Congress, you know, right? So that is really an amazing, amazing thing. What has changed now in this technological world? Because I know when you were talking about the resumes ads, and agencies, it's a different world today, I mean, because of the Internet and so many people posting online, and every single year, you come up with new ideas. I mean, you truly are a visionary. What do you think is the biggest change, Dick, that you've seen since the 1968 when you first started doing your research?
6: Well, everyone would tell you the answer to that question is the Internet, And in a sense, that's correct, but it's only in a sense. The real answer, in my opinion, is expectations. For example, if you were out of work back in, let's say, 1970, you expect there to have to put in a lot of time, a lot of uh, elbow grease, as we used to say, and a lot of hard work if you were going to find another job. With the coming of the Internet, particularly after 1996, and the uh, proliferation of these job boards like Monster or Career Builder and uh, DICE and so on, uh, people's expectation changed. They expected, they believed the hype which was uh, rampant everywhere on the internet. Uh, Give us your resume and go to sleep, and while you sleep, we'll match it with our tremendous bank of job openings and in the morning we'll have a job for you. And that kind of an expectation uh, not just affected job hunting, it affected the whole culture. If you try to watch a television commercial uh, nowadays, the chances are you'll see an image that will capture your attention and two seconds later it's not there. It's replaced by another image. So this whole fast, 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 fast mentality affected greatly the job hunt and people were no longer willing to give the time that it takes. And if you want an example of that, they did a survey in 2009 and I have no reason to believe anything has changed since then. They did a survey of college grads who couldn't find work and went back to live with their parents and they asked them typically how many hours a week do you spend on your job hunt and the answer was one one hour a week if i had a lost dog i couldn't find it in one hour a week
2: right then so the see this is that the expectations really is the right answer because our attention spans are somewhat shorter we feel more entitled. Do you think that's it? That we all deserve to have the job and we deserve it now and we have to, you know, we can find it fast and these are the promises that supposedly internet gives us. But there are more people out of work right now. I mean, it is a, a job crisis, but one thing that you say in your book is that we are not as powerless as we think we are. We may We may have struck out. We may feel like it's hopeless because the media is always filling us with bad news, right? Mm. But... But the thing is, is that we really have the power within our grasp, but we have to put the time and energy and focus into it.
6: Well, that's what expectations deprives people of, and it deprives them of any willingness to spend any time really trying to do what is within their power to change. So um, it is a, a kind of a sad story that Uh, You try to say anything, I'm not talking about myself, I'm talking about in our culture. You try to say anything about the reason you can't find a job is you're just not working hard enough at it, and you will get such a blowback. I saw a letter in the Washington Post, which just got sold (laughs) to Jeff Bezos, um, in the Washington Post, and it said, Somebody had said, you know, job owners have to change the way in which they go about looking for the jobs that are out there. And somebody sarcastically replied, oh, sure, blame the victim. And when you have no willingness to hear what you might do, what is within your control to change your behavior and therefore your success in finding not only work but work that is appropriate to you, if you have that mentality, then, of course, you're going to be very, very... Uh, unwilling to hear anybody tell you some really concrete ways in which you could change your fate and change your destiny.
2: And if you're not willing to listen, you know, obviously you're not going to be able to change. You know, I wanted to talk about something that you always emphasize, and that's going towards your strengths. You know, so often we we attempt to do something that we're not good at, and then we're disappointed that we're not good at it. But you have often said is, you know, it's like find out really what it is that makes you tick. And you have these great exercises and your flower exercise, et cetera. And then you go to that direction. Would you speak to, you know, going after, the, you know, the, the traits and the attributes? Perhaps they're God-given. Perhaps they're learned. Uh, and how important that is.
6: Well, we did a study many years ago, and it still is true. The findings are just as accurate that there are certain methods of job hunting that are infinitely more successful than others. Surprisingly, sending out your resume is one of the poorest ways to find work, something like only one out of 1,470 resumes results in a job. So we discovered that the most successful method of job hunting that anyone could use was to sit down in the very beginning and do a kind of inventory of themselves, not the job market, not what is the hot jobs out there, but themselves. And the reason for this turned out to be that people need to unlearn a great deal before they can turn around and then learn something new. Many people have a conception of themselves that's very hinged on the job title they've had all their lives or the many job titles they've had. And so if they sit down and do a self-inventory, what that achieves is it gets them to see a new image of themselves, to see their strengths and what it is that really they love to do. Give me a person who's doing a job that he just sort of, or she is just sort of, oh, it's a job. And show me a person who's not got as much training or aptitude, but it has enthusiasm. And I would hire that second person over the first any day in the month. So the most successful job hunting method is do the inventory. We have one in the book, of course. I've had it for years and keep updating it and making it more useful to people. I get letter after letter, day after day from readers who say, Doing that inventory made all the difference in the world. I'm in a job I dreamed of, and I actually was able to find it.
2: And when you're doing what you love, you know it is that old saying, you're never working a day in your life. We're speaking with perennial best-selling author Richard Nelson Bowles. His book is What Color is Your Parachute? This is the 42nd edition in 2014, and it's a practical manual for job hunters and career changers. And as you can tell, he has very down-to-earth, real, sensible advice. Well, Dick, I loved reading the Forbes magazine article, and you know, with the wealth wizards, and I just thought it was just, just terrific the way they profiled you, and you know, calling you the grandfather of the job hunters. But you came away from that interview with four important tips that we're really, I think, the pinnacle of what we we need to do. And the first one you said is don't make money the most important thing about finding a job. Have, has it been your experience that that seems to be the first criteria that people are looking at is how much I can make? Because sometimes you make a lot of money, but you're not happy where you live or, you know, the weather or whatever it is.
6: True. Very true.
2: And the second one that you were talking about is... You know, again, you want to delay the talk of your salary vacation time or health benefits until it's really clear that they want you.
6: And it, you want them.
2: Yeah, and I, that's pretty critical, isn't it? Because it's okay might boost our ego to be offered a job, but if it's not something we want, that's that's not so great.
6: I asked I, people who use my book what difference it made, and they always said the same thing. I got to be more picky. I didn't just take the first thing because I knew I could find work. I knew who I was, what my strengths were, and so I didn't just leap for the first job offer that came along, and that, to me, is a very important consideration.
2: Well, and that's because they did that exercise in taking inventory, which is really critical. Another important thing that you've always advised, and that's writing a journal or keeping a diary, you know, keeping the importance of writing something down so you know in details what you're doing at the job you are
6: Yeah, doing this is now. after you get the job. That yes. Nobody's going to pay attention to what you've achieved or accomplished in many cases unless you keep a diary and summarize that, a diary at the end of the year, in a one-page summary that details what successes you've done and what it is you've made for that organization and what kinds of goals they have that you've helped them accomplish.
2: And then the last thing that you talked about in Forbes, and this was in the Wealth Wizard section advice from the masters, and he was featured along with Warren Buffett and many other successful Wealth Wizards, is that do people often forget to even ask for the job after they've had the discussion? So you say, you know, make that comment, you know, with all that we've discussed. Can you offer me this job? Assuming that you want the job.
6: It's not that they forget. It's that they don't think they have the right.
2: So, what? How do we boost their confidence to say they have the right? I mean, is it well? Just, they have uh, to understand that
6: it. when people get into the hiring position, unless they're talking to HR, which usually doesn't have the capacity to hire, they only have the capacity to pass you on upstairs. Uh, the people that are actually interviewing them were hired to do a certain work in that organization, and then they're told, "Oh, by the way." Uh, so you're going to have to interview the people that work for you, and they just are not that qualified to do it. And when the an interview comes to an end, all they know enough to say is, you'll be hearing from us. So in a job hunter, if the interview went well for them and, and they thought it went well in the eyes of the uh, employer, if they say, given all that we have talked about, can you offer me this job? And they don't say that at the end of the interview if there's going to be another interview and another interview, but they say at the end of the process. Given all that we've talked about, can you offer me this job? And often the interviewer doesn't really know how to end the interview, and they sort of are lamely trying to think of a finish, and then you come along and you think you're imposing on them by being arrogant, but actually you're rescuing them, and a lot of employers are uh, bright enough to know that, and so they will respond and say something like, well, um, I need to talk to so-and-so tomorrow, but I can let you know. You've drawn the uh, interview to a good Inclusion, but more than that, you've rescued them, and they are often very grateful for that.
2: So that's a really important sentence. Well, again, our author today is Richard Nelson Bowles. His book is What Color Is Your Parachute? His website, JobHuntersBible.com. This is a book that needs to be on every person's book. Shelf, Because we all are job hunters at some point or another and sometimes many times in our lifetimes. And I guess it's happening more and more now, right, Dick, is that we're going to change jobs more often.
6: Every job today should be regarded as temporary. And you should always know how to job hunt. So if you're out of work, you have two tasks. One is to find a job. The second is to use that process to master the job hunt so that ever thereafter, if you need it, you'll know exactly how to do it and you'll feel confident about, uh, the. as I mentioned, there are many ways to look for the vacancies that are out there they just issued a report yesterday that there are 3 million vacancies right this minute. And so when you know all that, then you're very di- in a different mood than if you think your job is permanent.
2: Well, we're going to need to go to break, but I just want to finish the interview by asking you one last question. And outside of your lovely wife, Marcy, what makes you the happiest in what you've accomplished with What Color is Your Parachute, and all the people that you've helped.
6: My faith in God.
2: And that has been there since the very beginning, and well, I'm sure... i I was sure... a minister
6: for 50 oh, years.
2: Yes, yes, yes. And I. this has to be one of the big reasons that you hit number one and stayed there for, for 42 years. Yeah, well, Time
6: Magazine uh, a couple of years ago said I was one of the, my book was one of the 100 best nonfiction books in the last 93 years.
2: Yes, since since what 1923 or something?
6: That's exactly you, right.
2: You have won so many different awards, uh, the National uh, Samaritan Award. You you know you're you're in every kind of magazine. You've been interviewed by everyone, and I just want to thank you, Dick, for coming here on Star Style. Be the star you are once again, and uh, sharing some of your incredible wisdom and advice. And congratulations to all that you've accomplished and our gratitude to you for everything that you've done for everyone that's out there. Oh, you're
6: very welcome, and it's nice to be interviewed by you. You're always a lovely interviewer, and I know where you live.
2: Yes, you definitely do, and thank you for stopping by, and I wish I would have known that you were on your way. As I said, I would have baked a cake, and you don't think I do, but I do. Well, that's Richard Nelson Bowles. Please visit his website. It is JobHuntersBible.com. The book is What Color Is Your Parachute, a practical manual for job hunters and career changers. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have a short little bit on creativity. We'll be right back. Again, thanks so much, Dick.
6: You're very welcome, Cynthia.
2: We'll be back in a bit. Be the
3: star you are. The star you are.
2: Change your world.
5: Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
1: Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan.
2: Are you experiencing growing pains? Growth is a great thing when you're prepared to handle it. Oftentimes, small business owners try to do everything themselves, and when they find they can't, they panic or they withdraw. It is the managerial demands that can cause a burgeoning business to fail. Delegate the management to a qualified individual and keep tabs on the progress. Here's a list of traits that a successful manager can employ as a business is growing. Focus on the project exclusively. Pay special attention to the little details. Train your personnel and see training as an investment in the future. Evaluate all your employees' productivity. Resolve conflicts and keep the business running smoothly. Step back and determine where your company currently is and where it wants to go. Take the steps necessary to ensure continual growth and prosperity. And remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business fight from StarStyle. For coaching and consultations, call 925-377-STAR or visit StarStyleProductions.com.
5: Express yourself.
3: Be the star you are. You are the star.
5: Get ready to be inspired, entertained, and motivated to greatness with positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Turn up the volume. Tune in to the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Now, back to the program with the Oprah of the airwaves.
2: Cynthia Bryant. The secret to every success lies not in what or even who you know, but in clearly seeing where it is you want to go. And here at Star Style, Be the Star You Are, we believe you have the power to have it all, and we want to help you get there and go in the right direction by bringing you the best authors, the best books, and the best messages. So we keep you going and going well. Well, I want to announce the uh, 2013 essay contest that will be coming up in October. It's sponsored by U.S. Bank. And the topic this year is going to be what it means to be an American. So visit our website. You can find information under events at StarStyleRadio.com, and start thinking about how you'll want to enter. You'll be able to win money, interviews on this radio show, on our sister teen show, Express Yourself books and more so what is creativity is it just a flash in the dark that comes to you out of nowhere can you summon it at will can you decide that you want to be creative and for example be an artist or a musician or a surgeon or a science the answer is actually no creativity does come in many different forms thomas edison jonas salt steve jobs michael they were all creatives yet they were all very different and in different fields now recently Time Magazine along with Microsoft and the Motion Picture Association of America polled Americans about creativity in the workplace, in schools, and in government to find out if the U.S. is still a global leader and if American citizens have the juice you know, to be innovative. Now some of the results were encouraging and others were not so. But creativity is a renewable source. It is one that's universal although it's not evenly distributed you know in my book be the star you are 99 gifts for living loving laughing and learning to make a difference i tell people that we were not created equal we're something far better we are unique and that stands for creativity as well we are unique now when we think creative creatively 50 percent of people think in pictures And 71% of those polled believe that creativity comes when both nature and nurture contribute. Now, sudden inspiration appears to be the driving force for the majority of the population. And 91% of Americans say that creativity is important to them. But unfortunately, there are some Facts that, uh, that Americans feel are lacking in creativity. And one of them is they don't think that our schools are building enough creativity in students. They also don't believe that our government is driving enough support for creativity. And businesses, they don't think that businesses value creativity in, enough. And the number that the smallest thing is 8% of workers don't have the tools they need to be creative. So we don't know exactly what those tools are. You have to decide for yourself. But I thought I would read the story, The Gift of Creativity, that's from my book, Be the Star You Are, 99 Gifts, and just give you an idea of what creativity is. It was the wettest winter in California, and flooding was widespread. The storm seemed to last forever with so much water, the snails and slugs were out en masse. And each night when I turned in my driveway after work, I was greeted by the sleazy sight of thousands of snails slithering across the pavement to dine in my garden. My daughter, Heather, was already an animal aficionado and naturalist and in tune with nature and constantly reminding me about the cycles of life and how important it was to be kind to all creatures, great and small. And myself as an avid gardener, I wasn't ready to extend kindness to the armies of snails consuming my plants. So Heather would spend hours every day with her chickens and her ducks and her geese while they forage for worms and beetles and insects, scratching incessantly at the earth. And I asked her how she felt about her animals eating these other living things. And very, very matter-of-factly, she informed me that's the way God meant for his creatures to live. So with the air that only a young person can muster, she announced, you don't see chickens born with a sack of corn, do you, Mom? They're supposed to scratch for their food. Now, with that, I had this creative light bulb go on in my head. Because snails are natural, snails would make great chicken food. So I announced to Heather that I thought perhaps that her ducks and geese and chickens might enjoy eating some of the snails. And it would give the birds extra protein. She liked the idea. And with all the rain, the insects were in hiding, so the chickens had been eating more commercial grains than she thought was good for them. So what we did is we donned our rain slickers, our hats, our mud boots, we went out into the cold and wet carrying five-gallon buckets, and we decided to have a contest to see who could fill the buckets the fastest. We took the buckets up to the animals, dumped them out, and we thought that they were all going to be eaten. But there were so many, they started slithering right back down the hill. And thinking fast as the kids were squealing, I thought, get creative, Cynthia, get creative. It hit me. Come on, kids, let's start dancing as fast as you can, and we're going to do the snail stomp. So there we were stomping on snails, and then we gave these back to the animals to eat in the morning. So there in the barnyard in the pouring rain, we danced and clucked and quacked and honked. We partied, we had a mission, and we were the snail stompers. So that was a creative, ingenious idea. When most people think of the word creativity, they think of artists and artisans. But creativity encompasses anything from creative problem-solving to developing new organic farming techniques to decorating a room. My dad was ingenious at figuring out ways to fix tractors and fences and other farm equipment with the tools at hand. And when I'm doing an interior design job, the client doesn't have the budget for what they want. I find an alternative. When we first moved into our newly constructed home, we didn't have money for furniture So we slept on a carpeted floor with only blankets and no mattress, but for the kids, bought them a tent and sleeping bag, put stars on the wall, and they loved it. They pretended they were camping under the stars. So there's always ways to find a creative solution that can be inexpensive and fun. To be creative, we have to be open and receptive to new ideas. Unpredictable and unforeseen obstacles become the playground of the creative mind. To create is to discover unique ways of acting and thinking, and when we are creative, all our vitals are put into high gear, our juices start flowing, and the results can be absolutely extraordinary. Every problem has a creative solution if we just let ourselves find it. So be creative, assert your individuality, and become your own unequaled masterpiece. And this is an exercise I designed called the snail stomp. You can think of a sentence and then let your body say it. You move your body without using your voice. You can stomp your feet, you can dance, you can fling your arms, but you can't say anything. For example, how would you say, I don't know? Would you shrug your shoulders? Would you put your hand under your chin? You have to decide and you have to have fun with it because your goal is to be creative. Now, one thing that could be fun for you is to stand in front of a big mirror And consider each of the following sentences and use your body to express them. I love you. Get away from me. I can do this myself. Shh, be quiet. I want that. I'm scared. Oh, not again. So how do your body movements convey what you're thinking? This is your creative genius at work and at play. And just remember that everyone is an original work of art. Being different is your birthright. So you too can be a Michelangelo of your own world. Well, thank you very much for joining us today here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, for always being great listeners and allowing Heather, Brittany, and I into your life. Make sure you're tuned to Voice America Empowerment Channel every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. as we bring you the experts, the authors, the personal growth coaches, and offer you fun and success. You can change your life, and you can make your dreams come true. This program is brought to you under the auspices of Be The Star You Are charity, a 501c3 literacy and positive messaging nonprofit. Make a donation today. Go to btsya.org or bethestarur.org. For information on Starsdale Productions, you can call 925-377-STAR, Or visit StarStyleProductions.com. Our aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate. Cherish the past, dream of the future, but remember to celebrate every minute of your life. It's the only minute you'll have. And read a book this week and make it What Color Is Your Parachute? Because we're all job hunters and there's always new things to learn. And until next week, when we're here on the same playground at Star Style, Be The Star You Are, remember love always wins, kindness prevails, and smiles keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style, Be The Star You Are. I thank you and encourage you. Sparkle and shine. Be the star you are. Until next week. Be the
3: star you are. The star you are.